0: The Burning of the Building On Legacy Systems, Communal Memory, and Caring for the Dead This is the October 14th, 2020 missive of the Desire, Hope, Despair newsletter. Hello, friend. I wrote almost all of this in mid-September and then had to step away from it for some weeks. The verdict had come back on Breonna Taylor's murder and the way the state has continued to respond was making me remember certain things I witnessed during a sojourn to study Spanish in the Guatemalan highland, Quetzaltenango. Do we fill their collection plates? Yes, we do. There are groups of black trans femmes all over Philly right now and well before, conducting complex and ritual public mourning for the lives of Brianna Taylor, Dominique Fells, missing and kidnapped and trafficked femmes, women, girls throughout the tri-state, that's Philly, Jersey, Delaware around here, and organizing for relatives and neighbors who need a community to protect and pull them through the gauntlet of patriarchal, religious, and state institutional violence this white supremacist society. It is my charge now on you, the reader, or my listener tonight, or wherever you are that if you are descended from people who assimilated into whiteness and status quo values if you are gainfully employed if you have savings come from a blue collar upbringing or generational wealth and or resources if you have spending money in general that you are well in the practice of redistributing that money in your possession because it's just in your possession for now honey i hope you redistribute it on a very regular basis and directly to individuals is my recommendation. If you're any of these things and you're not doing this shit out of some sort of indignation or fear or something, you probably have ghosts eating your soul. So figure that out. Image description, a chain link fence surrounds an empty field. Vinyl signs are attached to the fence showing distasteful renderings of future developments and with text that says, coming soon, and opening doors to opportunities. This is the same field across from the Philly Housing Authority multi-million dollar headquarters recently built, where Philadelphia Housing Action had been maintaining one of their protesting canyons. The other day, I stumbled into an old file directory on my machine full of pictures of a 21-year-old me in the time I was in this abusive relationship. I take pictures of my surroundings. I like to archive. I looked at all my old rooms and apartments at some of the worst times of my life. I remember the visceral and pervasive dread. During and after 9-11, I lived in a series of conservative white, these colors don't run. Addiction-addled Republican towns. 30 to 45 minutes by car outside of Boston. So small up there. On the afternoon of 9-11, I was sitting in the back seat of my abusive ex's Mazda in the parking lot of his food aid job at an old folks home when I noticed him coming out quickly to the car. I sat up. He opened the car door and told me to turn on the radio that there had been some attack. What? said it was on every channel and every station, serious. He went back inside. I listened to the shocked radio news announcers frantically describe and speculate on the situation at hand. One of the two iconic world trade towers in New York City had a commercial airline crash and explode into an entire set of floors. The burning of the building was becoming increasingly dire, out of control, catastrophic. They described the horrifying plight of the people trying to escape. Fleeing, burning, jumping. Then they began shouting, ''Oh my God, another plane, another plane. Looks like it's going to collide with the second tower.'' It hits. Everyone is reeling. Another plane has hit the fucking Pentagon. A fourth crash lands in a field in Pennsylvania. I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the car, closed 500 page fantasy novel in my lap completely shocked and knowing that I will forever remember that on this day I was homeless in this fucking car wow when my ex's shift was over and he started driving us to his friend's place where we were staying for that night he was totally convinced that wow if it wasn't for me he was really about to go enlist in the motherfucking army for this terrorist attack fuck out of here, (laughs) I say to you now. Some 15 years later, I'm disembarking from a long bus ride out of Guatemala City into the highland municipality Quetzaltenango, which everyone there calls Shayla, which is an indigenous Maya word for the place. I've spent all of my savings to not work for a month and pay for a Spanish language immersion school, which Shayla is famous for, and of which there are also many just like in the town, and which is cheaper by hundreds of dollars than paying for comparable language immersion education in the United States. This fucks me up from the start of things, but at this point in my life, I've been to a real big time academy language immersion school for Japanese, and I feel like local economies built around language education slash tourism, they should be patronized when they are so deliberately accommodating to budget travelers and have no requirements of enrollment in higher education thats very rare being in shayla felt like when i was a kid walking behind my mom on the bustling north fish street in alney i experienced this persistent body memory of fondness and vigilance for one's surroundings originally reinforced by the adults in my life walk with respect observe your surroundings be confident and pay attention especially to your gut In Shayla, dress conservatively, come home before dark, walk with company if it's getting late, don't stray too far from the area around the school and the homestay. I had never been around a public transportation system made out of networks of passenger vans and modified pickup trucks, but one learns to ride public transit as a child, and do you forget things like that? I also did most wider activities with the accompaniment of the language school faculty, who one evening made a movie night out of showing us a film depicting the plight of children kidnapped and forced to work as soldiers during the civil war that ended here, there, just 15 years earlier. And I looked it up on Wikipedia and read about the CIA working with the United Fruit Company to overthrow Guatemala's popularly elected leaders so motherfucking Americans can eat monoculture bananas with their cereal health food industry bullshit. A horrifying civil war. Generations shattered and hundreds of thousands dead for that. God damn. (sighs) I'd never had to walk by at attention armed guards in front of liquor stores before the designs of which reminded me of pull up boardwalk stalls with bottles and their prices displayed on tiered platforms. Their local economy was in recovery then. This was like 2014. Yeah. Legacy Systems I've been fixated on this long review an Institute for Hermetic Studies podcast interview with Peter Mark Adams, the author of this book called The Game of Saturn. My understanding of the book is that it's a long-form analysis of a certain Renaissance family's private custom tarot deck whose symbolism is unlike common tarot decks, and in fact suggests a ritual magic astrology practice for influential elites to perpetuate their power through generations utilizing massive astral forces slash entities to do so. Real Illuminati shit. And you know, I'm only four episodes into Lovecraft Country, but it the what was that Golden Dawn spinoff group represented in that first episode? It makes me think of that. The lengths and depths the powerful go to maintain their power. Bree Newsome um, on Twitter said on the 22nd of September, I keep saying this, but everyone must remember that just 159 years ago, this nation had a years long civil war over keeping black Americans enslaved. It's relevant to the modern GOP demonstrating 1,000 different ways they'd rather destroy the republic than allow it to be multiracial. Trump being the modern emblem and banner carrier for white supremacy can't be separated from why he's able to flagrantly break, break laws, commit treason, kill 2, 200,000 plus Americans, represent opposite of so-called you know, quote-unquote Christian val- family values, and still enjoy support of the GOP and 40% of the USA. It's the explanation. Just over a century ago, people formed armies, donned uniforms and fought each other to the death to prevent the freedom of black Americans. The 16th United States president was assassinated because he promised black people the right to vote. This is recent historical context for 2020. People who continue to wring their hands and express shock at what is happening are refusing to apply any historical context to the present because they don't want to confront that the central issue in the United States of America is racism and all present woes stem from that. So that's what Brie said one evening. And just think, on top of that, here we are all still dealing with the racial case system the Spanish conquerors And holy Catholic and Catholic holy men brought to this land mass too. It's not it's not just one never mind. I was gonna say it's not just one thing, but I'm not trying to take away from black liberation struggles in the least. I find them I find all this to be connected. Here's a quote from or like an overview from Source Hacking Media Manipulation in Practice by Joan Donovan and Brian Friedberg. It's a very good PDF, instructional PDF, but it starts by saying, in recent years, there has been an increasing number of online manipulation campaigns targeted at news media. The goals of manipulation campaigns can vary widely, but they all rely on communication platforms to respond in real time to breaking media spectacles or sometimes to anticipate or even generate such spectacles. One, this report focuses on a subset of manipulation campaigns that rely on a strategy we call source hacking. Source hacking is a set of techniques for hiding the sources of problematic information in order to permit its circulation in mainstream media. Two, source hacking is therefore an indirect method for targeting journalists, planting false information in places that journalists are likely to encounter it or where it will be taken up by other intermediaries. And I share this. I I recommend that anyone who has the brain for it or the interest to go read this PDF um, just because it explains very thoroughly and succinctly some ways that media disinformation campaigns work. Every day I scroll my social media and check a handful of news websites and screen cap a variety of headlines, posts, comment threads, targeted ads, and move them to my desktop folder titled Daily Hell. I started this folder when Trump won in 2016, but this practice of screen cap archiving is not new for me. And then here's a screen cap of Instagram user Dom Roberts, but the E is an X. A graphic saying, The sad part about the verdict on Breonna Taylor's killing, is that when Louisville announced a state of emergency, set up a curfew and activated the National Guard, we already knew no justice was going to be served. They were preparing for damage control. The even sadder part was no one was surprised, extremely disappointed slash heartbroken, but not surprised. Yet another form of trauma for the black community Louisville justice system does not believe Black Lives Matter. And there's a whole comment, but I'm not going to read that. And that was from September 23rd, uh, the week that her verdict got announced. So, yeah, before I heard the verdict for Breonna Taylor's murder at the hands of gangster police serving gentrification efforts. I heard the news stations announcing the reinforcements of property, mobilized law enforcement, and potential road closures, and that was here in Philly as well. So we all knew what was coming. The screen caps I ended up taking that week revolved around news and reactions over this verdict, and also the upticks of armed white mobs playing soldier proto-lynch mob, and all the latest right-wing grifting and sellout Democrat placating. I think about how the United States encourages a total lack of awareness in its citizens for the plights of neighboring countries south on this landmass. For we are the perpetrators on our southern cousins and it's not polite to talk about. A plane ride from Philly to Mexico City or Guatemala City takes less time than to fly to California. And in Guatemala City, a no bullshit auntie will hail a reliable cab from the bus station to the airport for you, hapless student tourist, so you don't end up with a driver who will rape and rob you. Middle class Americans vent on Twitter about how America is turning into a third world country. Others with what I consider more insight call America a failed state. Black anarchists, indigenous organizers and scholars, disabled and trans and regular people point out America as a fantasy, a sham, a scheme and long running con. I see the white militia groups abided by our sellout fascist government and think about puppet statesmen, the cold war, ghost in the shell plot lines, media manipulation as destabilizing geopolitical economic warfare. The earth turns. After my homie dropped major science on their own part, I added that I think there is no left-wing party. Like, and that when the liberals came to power through the 50s, I guess, by the 1980s, they had cannibalized what used to be a left-wing. Liberal itself. confusing because without political education you may just think it means free or dare say forward thinking like liberty opposite of conservatives that favor the past or you imagine it as a cultural attitude of intellectual snobs that get made fun of on the simpsons but liberal democrats here in this country are conservative and centrist they have no imagination for the future They dismiss even the tamest progressive and socialist ideologies as the fancies of foolish children and not, you know, maybe feasible, practical, efficient possibilities in economy and infrastructure. Here's like a, you know, a whole plan and model to, you know, figure it out. They perpetually give in to the taut hard lines of Republicans or any vocal white outcry for that matter, it seems. Both sides, and that I'm just saying that in today's world, there. I just want to acknowledge that the names of political parties and their histories and their origins, they've all been different throughout the history of this country. And that is worth knowing. Anyway, both sides, you know, two sides of the same sword, two wings of the same bird, maintain the fallacy that... Only their two parties exist when, you know, just look at all the fucking factions out there in the streets right now, running fundraising, running awareness campaigns, doing mutual aid outside of nonprofit models, corporations pandering to their desired markets, think tanks and lobbyists. They're designing million million dollar TV advertisements, all those fucking vote today at like, what did it say? Vote early signs that got plastered all over Philly with no link or instructions or more info, endless fraternal order of police PR campaigns in the form of popular procedural dramas such as Law and Order and Paw Patrol and clandestine firms funded to implement strange political YouTube ad messaging and TikTok accounts. All that is going on out there. And do you really know what side that is? S- besides it sides is in quotes big quotes what do you know in your gut what are you witnessing right now have you ever questioned the origins of civilization itself do your bones ache <laughs> for the dead. After years of largely praying to and calling upon saints and spirits, I've begun speaking to my elder ancestors. This is after several slow previous progressions attempting relationships with my recent dead, which did not feel exactly right no matter how I set my altars or addressed them or contemplated the circumstances of their lives. In Jessica Dore's pre-pandemic weekly tarot circle, I used to sit over my cards and listen to almost exclusively black women speak over their beautiful black-made decks on building their relationships with ancestors and spirit. And I'd be asking myself what traditions were in my heritage for ancestor worship in kind, besides a fractured relationship to All Saints and All Souls Day And denialist New Ager interpretations of pre-Catholic pagan spiritualities. What relationships does one have with their recent dead when those dead are full of wrath, hurt, spite, and wish to haunt your living body with their unresolved pains? I think it was like seven some years ago when I realized I needed therapy for my relationship eating anger issues and now I've come to realize I'm housing more than just my own anger memories. Uh, And a real quick interjection. This newsletter originally went out on the 14th of October, 2020. And on the 19th, you know, a few days later, area herbalist Kelly McCarthy of Attic Apothecary passed me uh, this open letter regarding Daniel 4 and ancestral medicine, who I'm about to speak of. And the letter is penned by former practitioners of this man, airing a unified public grievance, and making a warning against him as a dangerous person. Uh, But anyway, I left my original text in order to reflect my original perception of this man who has now, very unsurprisingly, been revealed to be another dangerous white savior in an expansive field of corrupted white wellness, honorable spirituality figures. You know, they're all over the fucking place. I did not realize... Uh, that he ran a for-profit training of his practice, which I feel like if, you know, stuff like that, it says it all. Real fucking funny shit. Anyway, the, protect- the, the letter by the practitioners is very good. So anyway, this summer I ended up hearing uh, this man, Daniel Four, speak on the Rune Soup podcast about repairing one's ancestral lineage by going back to your oldest ancestors old ones who are healed and wise and kind and wish good for you you go to them for help even though you don't know them at first and you build the relationship and you ask them to heal your more recent dead what a concept yeah that was a deep ass concept and some things about how i was uh talking and spending time with my ancestors they shifted rapidly me after I began to think about this way and approach it this way um, although I'm I'm very much in the beginning stages of it. Daniel Four is a white man uh, this very cool calm collected soft spoken white man whose work it turns out is the result of studying under Yoruba practitioners who speak openly about this on his platform um, his website basically there's a talk and You know, I'm going to stumble over these names. I don't know if the cadences are right, but here we go. Talking Yoruba culture with Oluseyi Atanda and Ifasola Onifade. I had shared the RuneSoup podcast with Philly John in Pittsburgh, Petra Floyd, and she mentioned this Appalachian one talking backwoods witchcraft with Jake Richards was interesting. And I was like, oh, this talk is is cool too because the host of RuneSoup podcast, Gordon White, and the man, Jake Richards, they both speak explicitly on the need for white people to revive, establish, establish, strengthen traditions of caring for their dead, because the past hundred years especially have seen such a dramatic disconnect, and it's eating us alive. Us being, you know, white people, white, you know, assimilated people, blah, blah, blah. And uh, this is not news or new insight. It's not like by no means um, are these white men the first to figure this out, but um, we are not well and we won't be until this begins to happen when we take care of our dead. Uh, and I speak on Richards and Four in particular because the two of them authored instructional books on the matter. Jake Richards' book is more like a good old fashioned spell book and I don't know about fours necessarily. I still have to read them. Back in June, I watched this Facebook teach-in on white supremacy and class in Italian American communities, and that was moderated by journalist Adrian Corcione, Corcione, joined with Italian Studies expert Samantha Pinto. The teach-in said was about confronting the history of Italian American communities like South Philadelphian and the complex history of white supremacy. We invite the community to this important discussion in light of the incidents of white supremacist vigilante violence unfolding at Marconi Plaza since June 13th. The rioting and lootings from the start of June were still fresh, and at this time, people were tearing down Confederate monuments and coming after Columbus next in many places. Here in Philly, the South Philly Italian assholes emerged from their concentrated enclaves to defend the Columbus statue. Shit was fucked up. Shit was tense, outright violent, and it kept escalating for days until the city finally covered it in a box and promised to haul it out of there. And the fucking clown, Rudy Giuliani, just visited the other day and called the box anti-Catholic? What a stooge. (laughs) And when all this was happening, I had just started watching The Sopranos, too, and was like, wow, blue-collar pride is such a problem. Such a racist thing problem, a, whole, a sham. So, I thought the teach-in was good. Samantha Pinto is a fide, born and raised South Philly Italian. She's well-studied and fluent in Italian language and also has a relationship to being in Sicily, the land itself. So, she was thoroughly breaking down the white supremacist motives behind all those tool motherfuckers at Marconi. And then the two of them made these clear-cut lines to the struggles of Southern Italians and their legacy that like, you know, existing legacies, history of Southern Italian anarchist organizing and so on, um, which has long been abandoned in in Italian-American communities here uh, to aspire to join the political party that is whiteness. That's like the whole reason Columbus Day got invented to... Oh, and this is going to be a side tangent. WHYY PBS has been airing this series called the Latino Americans... And it's just all this assimil- like, it's cool or whatever, but it's all this assimilationist romanticizing, very, very similar to a lot of, like, Italian-American and Irish-American, how these people became Americans, like, romantic narratives. Woof. Like all the struggle and all the resistance and all the anti-imperialist, anti-colonial realities, they get cut out. And woo, I gotta stop. <laughs> around the same time as uh, the the teaching with Adrian and Samantha Pinto, Adrian Cortione and Samantha Pinto, I ended up watching this talk with Mar Ma- Mauro Valeri around the same time about the retconned erasure of black Italians during the rise of the fascist party leading up to and between the world wars. Valeri does this by tracing the lives of several prominent black Italians in the recent centuries, one of whom was a decorated general who sued to keep his position within the rising fascist party until he realized that anti-blackness was now also part of the party's position.
1: Massimo grado. Which is
2: the
1: Forse <coughs> Mondelli ha avuto un, un aiuto dalla massoneria.
2: Mondelli might have had help from the Freemasonry.
1: Perché Mondelli nel 1912 è entrato nella Massoneria?
2: Because in 1912 he became a freemason.
1: Perché la massoneria ha sempre aperto le porte. Senza distinzione di colore della pelle.
2: Because the Freemasonry has always opened its doors to anybody, whatever the color of their skin. pelle.
1: Questa è un'altra storia.
2: This is another story.
1: Molto importante perché è la prima storia di cui siamo sicuri che c'è una discriminazione.
2: This is a very important story because it is the first time that we're really sure that there was it was a question of discrimination.
1: Questo bambino è, si chiama Leone Jacovacci.
2: This child is a child called Leone Jacovacci.
1: Che è il suo vero nome questa volta.
2: And this time it's his real name. E nasce nel
1: 1902 in Congo.
2: And he was born in 1902 in Congo.
1: Lei è la mamma. As a mother. Zibumabeba.
2: She was called Zibumabeba.
1: Ed è abbastanza ricca una si dice una principessa col boy che regge l'ombrello.
2: And she was fairly rich. They say she was a um, a princess. You can see there's um, a boy who is holding up an umbrella for her.
1: Il papà è un uh, italiano, un romano, un italiano di Roma.
2: The father was uh, an Italian from Rome.
1: Che lavorava in Congo. Per Leopoldo II del Belgio.
2: And uh, he worked in Congo for uh, Leopold II, the King of Belgium.
1: Nel 1905 porta il bambino in Italia.
2: And he brought his child in 1905 to Italy.
1: In genere, invece, gli italiani, i bambini medicini, lasciavano in Africa.
2: Usually Italians left their mixed uh, blood children in the country, they didn't bring them to Italy.
0: Then I jump to this talk about the origins of white trash as stemming from eugenics and poor breeding according to the standards of white landowning elites in the, uh, in the Americas. And as if you didn't know with me by now, language is a sorcery that must be paid fastidious attention.
3: And toiled long were rewarded while the idol would have to either keep moving or die off. And as you can guess, Franklin had no sympathy for the poor whatsoever, even though he did not come from an elite family. Breeding was at the heart of the domestic slave trade, and Jefferson coldly admitted that female slaves were a good investment. To his mind, free white women were breeders, too. In a series of letters that he exchanged with John Adams in 1813, he argued that humans were animals guided by the overriding impulse of sexual desire. Lust, however, if it was tempered by reason among the most gifted, he argued, was producing what he called a fortuitous concourse of breeders. This model of breeding generated for Jefferson an accidental aristocracy of talent. Class division arose through natural selection. Superior men were supposed to marry for more than money. They would consciously and unconsciously choose mates with favorable traits. It was all a matter of probability. Now the question neither Jefferson nor his calculating colleagues never answered was this. What happened to those outside the talented rational elite? What future awaited the concourse of breeders living on the bottom layer of society? No matter how one finessed it, rubbish produced more rubbish. Now Jefferson, like Franklin, hoped the poor would be drawn into the Western territories. So this is why our Western territories were like the colonies for the British. They were to drain away the poor and the waste. (laughs) What also became prevalent in Jefferson's theory, and proved to be long lasting in justifying why the United States was truly a promised land, was the idea that horizontal mobility would substitute for upward mobility? That means moving across the land was the alternative to actually moving up the social ladder.
0: And it goes in. That's, let me get this lady's name. Uh, presented by Nancy Eisenberg, PhD, the 35th Annual Portier Lecture White Trash, the 400 Year History of Class in America. <laughs> There's so, so much history from the landmass now called Europe of its descendants now called white people in struggle against their own oppressive landowner rulers and warmonger elites. But what do we find for ourselves in 2020? Another fucking Dune remake. Oh, wait, it got postponed. Have you read Dune? Some space nobles are maneuvering for economic dominance of the galaxy, by controlling the commodity known as spice. The spice is required for the operation of intergalactic trade. There is a single source of spice on an unforgiving desert planet named Arrakis. And spice is the excrement of giant sandworms and it is ingested as a drug with long-term cognitive effects. The struggle of Dune is that of an oppressed native people against their colonizers led by prophesized savior who happens to be the rising king of one of the warring colonizer families (laughs) but this one is special because reasons the main character of dune paul atreides he's a real gary stew if you know what i'm talking about despite my shade and analysis I do find Dune memorable for several world-building details like the Butlerian Jihad that results in the strict prohibition of all thinking machines, including computers, robots, and artificial intelligence of any kind, and that produces Mentats, a class of elite tradesperson that can perform cognitive assessments and mathematical computations as though they were computers, aren't they? One of my favorite details is the weirding way of the feared Bene Gesserit witches and their martial litany against fear.
2: An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? I know you. One day legend will be born. All of civilization depends on it.
0: Wah, wah. The future. I can see it. This is so much. I must not fear.
2: Fear is the mind killer.
1: My Lord Duke... Where
2: the fear is gone,
0: only I will remain. All right, enough of that. The litany of fear is I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, There will be nothing. Only I will remain. And that is like some Super Saiyan shit to me. It's a tough-ass piece of world-building. You cannot listen to that the first time and be like, "Eh, that's corny. (laughs) But the new movie trailer utilizes the Only I Will Remain language as its tagline. And I find that fantasy very dangerous in this pendulum swing of retaliatory white male anger. The litany against fear is a mantra that ultimately ends in the individual prevailing, unaided by spirits, forces, ancestors, or other powers, and we don't need that type of lone hero bullshit right now. And on top of that, the main character from Dune I said he's a Gary Stu because he has like, I won't, never mind. I'm not going to go into Gary Stu right now, but the Paul Atreides, the main character, he like is trained by the best of the best and he manages to pick up what they're teaching him. And so he becomes this savior. And even if he's like the only one that remains, like, why is there no veneration of those who taught him? A militant nationwide uprising did in fact occur I said at the start of this missive That state violence was making me remember What else I have witnessed And now I'm going to end with an excerpt From a July talk titled How it might should be done We all saw it We all saw what happened after the murder of George Floyd. What occurred was an extremely violent and destructive rebellion. It was a phenomenon the likes of which we have not seen in America in 40 or 50 years. Very few of us have experienced anything of this magnitude. A precinct was immediately torched in Minneapolis after which entire cities went up in flames, New York, Atlanta, Oakland, Seattle, Comparisons were quickly made with the riots after Martin Luther King's assassination. However, I think that we've gone further in this case that 2020 went harder than 1968 and we're not even done yet. Despite all of this, the reformers have had the audacity to claim that all of this never actually happened. They are trying to make the burning cop cars disappear, to extinguish from memory the police stations on fire as if it did not happen. Again and again, I hear the same script. Someone comes on the news, a political activist, gives a talk, and we hear them say something like, the protests were peaceful and nonviolent; they stayed within the bounds of law and order. No, cops being shot at in St. Louis is not within the bounds of law and order. They are doing their best to make the event disappear. One has to wonder what planet they are on, that a torched police station appears within the bounds of civility. This delusion is something that we need to think about. Ultimately, it's more than a delusion. It unites veritably all the progressive liberals who chatter on about what's been going on over the past summer. From the Biden Democrats, to virtually all of the mainstream media not affiliated with Fox News, to the Black Lives Matter trademark people, the agenda pushed by all these groups is the claim the insurrection did not take place i even read a recent study by some sort of consulting firm that sought to prove through quantitative means that there was a very civil nature to the protests the fact is whatever data or graphs they draw up nothing will erase the fact that police cars were on fire in dozens of american cities so why do liberals feel the need to jump through such incredible hoops in order to ease this insurrection or this uprising? Why is it that the most violent wings of law and order, e.g. Attorney General William Barr, are today the only audible voices willing to acknowledge that the uprising occurred? We need to think this through. What is at issue is more than just a momentary lapse of sanity. It is a strategy of denial, a counter-insurgent strategy of reform par excellence. And if you go on my newsletter, the you could probably just search how it might should be done. You, the whole speech is fire. And with that, I part by asking you, what are you willing to remember? What are you unwilling to accept is happening all around you. Hold on to your love. Till next time. Monk.